Well, it's great to see all of ranches. We are continuing in our um, series called Singled In. Again, I want to thank all of you veterans here. I just appreciate the sacrifice the, and all that you've gone through over the years and just the, uh, the ability it gives to me to preach the message of Jesus and for us to worship in our church. Um, to be honest, I feel like I was one of those guys that probably should have gone into the military. Anybody ever wish you had? Like you sit back and you look, you're like, man, that would have been so good. I think for me, because I'm, a, I'm one of those people that needs discipline in my life, kind of those, those pieces to keep me going and locked in place. I'm a man without a calendar in my head and I'm a man who's, who needs a watch on and then I lose my watch and I can't remember what I did with it because it's just that's I'm the disorganized visionary kind of person. So when I wake up in the morning, I, I oftentimes can wake up and have no clue what is going to happen next. Maybe I booked my overbooked myself three times or whatever, and I always felt like, man, if I had been in the military, maybe I would have picked up some of that discipline and some of that aim and some of that 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 moving forward uh, kind of mentality. Because again, the only times I seem to wake up in the morning, honestly, is when I wake up. Or something. Isn't that true for you? Uh, when I wake up and I don't have anything to do, I kind of just lounge around. I don't quite know where to go or what to do. Maybe I sleep in longer than I ought to. But for me, I'm not a big weekend kind of person in some ways when it comes to, to waking up in the morning. It's hard for me. Midweek, I wake up, man, I'm up to go because there's something to do. I'm waking up to, to my work. I'm waking up to my family to get us going to school, to get us out to where we need to go. It gives me a purpose to wake up in the morning and get moving. And, and with kids, that's really helped me, to be quite honest, early on. My wife and I discovered the reason we needed to get up earlier than our children. I think there was this moment in our lives, and I don't quite remember how old my daughter was, but we had, she, we, she'd gone through a little bit of teaching. I think she was like three or four about how to, you know, just showing her how to cook some eggs here and there. And one day we wake up in the morning and we come downstairs and there's like, eggs laid out all on the table and she's like four and we're like what Adeline what did you she's like there's no shells in them and so we were just like I'm blown away that our daughter would decide to go ahead and cook eggs uh, uh, before we had even gotten up in the morning at four years old and so from that point on we try to get up a little earlier than our children doesn't always work but uh, it gets us moving my question for you this morning is this what gets you up in the morning Everybody has to get up in the morning, and everybody has a reason to get up in the morning, but what's yours? And is it strong enough to get you motivated, or is it something that you can set aside? Because when we talk about the subject of what gets you up in the morning, it is imperative that this is a question answered if you are a single man or woman. Because calling and singleness are something that are wedged so closely together in the scriptures that it's not something we should be dividing. And we've been talking about singles and we've been talking about single living and single life. And some of us may wind up there one day being single again. Some of you are single right now. Uh, maybe you're beginning in the journey in the 18 to 30 bracket. Maybe you're older and you're in your kind of that midlife area and you're single and you're wondering how you got here through a divorce, a death, or maybe it's just been a long journey of of, of never finding that right person, or maybe you're in widowhood at the end of your life where now you found yourself alone, and uh, you always knew one of you was going to remain, but you didn't realize how it would be. And so we've been looking at these different stages, looking at what it means to live in a world of a social clock. And we've been talking about the social clock that, that says at certain ages you need to have done certain things, right? You need to have gone to high school and graduate, and then after graduation you need to get a you need to get into college, and once you get into with college, you need to get a career, and then maybe you need to get married. Once you get married, you need to have kids, and if you miss one of these gates, there's a social pressure that comes from our grandmas that we should get back on, on a task. Um, 
more than it's the whole society, but it, it aims us that way. We've been saying this is don't get fixated on the social clock. But let Jesus, the model single, the one who chose to be single and was God, give you a vision and a reminder of what life is to be like. And so we laid out four reminders, sort of like your phone reminders. They go off during your day to remind you what you should be doing at that time. And so we want these reminders to be those that go off in your life to remind you of what you should be focused on and, and fixated on. So we gave us four from the life of Jesus. The first one was a deep relationship with God. We gain our value from having intimacy with the one who wants to save us and let us call him Father. We get value from the one who made us in his image, creative, infinitely powerful, or in this, not infinitely powerful, infinitely valuable, and, and just worth so much. And so having that relationship with him is imperative. The second one is a close community. How, and we'll talk about this next week in detail, but having a group of men or a group of women around you that are for you and helping you and you're doing life and your purpose together. The third is a great calling, which we'll fixate on today, a reason to get up in the morning. And the third one is a spiritual family. And we'll talk about that last in this series in two weeks, but uh, really what is this church supposed to be like for us? But what I want to fixate on again is this third reminder that it's a great calling because For singles, to thrive in the single life, you need to be single-minded on your calling. Let me say that again. If you're going to thrive in the single life, you need to be single-minded on your calling. It may be that you're, you're a single parent. It may be that you are single by yourself and just single and, and live in life, but you need to have a great calling that you fixate on, that you focus on, that you are single-minded about. I want to say it this way, that you need to be single-minded on God's kingdom. This is what Jesus starts us with. In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is describing all the anxieties of life, he lands on this statement, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's saying, if above all else, yeah, you can worry about your bills. You can wonder where your next uh, meal is going to come from. Maybe you're, you're, you're freaked out about what's happening with your car because it's breaking down or whatever. But you need to step back and let, know that God loves you as a father. He cares about you. And go seek after his kingdom. Be aimed after what he has for you. Now, Kingdom conversations are weird. What do we mean kingdoms? We don't have kingdoms anymore. We're not the United Kingdom. We're, we're the United States of America. We got presidents and we got elections and things like that. So what is this kingdom word? Uh, the best way that I've heard it explained is wherever Jesus rules, that's his kingdom. If Jesus rules in your heart, if Jesus is your Lord, then you are a part of his kingdom. If you are walking amongst other people and you're in a church where Jesus rules and reigns and his word rules and reigns, you're in his kingdom. You may be in a group of people at your work in a Bible study. That's a manifestation of his kingdom. But clearly, Jesus rules and reigns in heaven, and so that's where his kingdom is. Wherever Jesus rules and reigns, you find his kingdom. And wherever we live under that rule and reign and spread his name, you're living out the kingdom. And so Jesus gives us this indication that life is a fixation on the kingdom of God. And what's powerful about Jesus saying that is he's the model single. He was a single man who chose to be single in a time period where marriage was con- where singleness was considered sin and marriage was considered obligatory in the Jewish world and he chose to model single living. And so if you're single, Jesus is your, is your focus. He's the one you should look at. And he said, focus on the kingdom of God. In fact, he will align calling and singleness so closely that um, 
he'll have to use a rather disturbing term to, to kind of make his point. And it happens in a conversation that he's having about divorce and remarriage and marriage and all this stuff. And as he draws his lines, the, the disciples look at Jesus and say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, uh, who, we, it's better not to get married. So Jesus responds with this statement in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says to them, not everyone can receive this saying. But only those to whom it is given. For there are, un- there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Um, instantaneously, anybody who hears the word eunuch and is male is going like, because that, that is not a happy word. We don't have eunuchs in our culture much anymore, I don't think, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, in the ancient world, eunuchs were everywhere because they were the primary officials in most kingdom courts. If you met somebody who was standing in place of a king, he had a eunuch who was either in charge of his harem or in charge of his wife or in charge of his house because the top slave in the ancient world was, you know, had a special surgery done so that they didn't have any reproductive organs anymore and they were officially eunuchs. Now, so there's three different categories Jesus talks about here. He says there's some that were born that way. There's some that were made that way, like um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all wound up having to go through that process in later life to be made eunuchs for Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus says there are those who for the fixation on God's kingdom were willing to be involved in a lifestyle like a eunuch. So we have set up physicians all over Corona to handle all of you who are, I'm just kidding, we're not doing that, no way. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has to use the word eunuch because they have a, spe- they have a special role. And they have a special role that gives them a certain limitation. First and foremost, he uses the word eunuch because a eunuch was a single person. They weren't married. And he's attaching the word eunuch and singles together. Now, don't be insulted by this because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to draw some very, a very special three particulars out of a single life. He says, first, they're single. Second... They are not, they're they're celibate. They're not fixated on sex. And singles and celibacy in in, in the Bible's world, in the first century, in the Christian scriptures, according to Jesus, is linked. And the third one is, they're not fixated on the self, they're focused on the kingdom. And, And here, these are three important things in our day. I mean, today, our culture in the church wants you single people to get married. You've got to get married. Fixate on your singleness and solve your singleness and get married. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about a fixation on your singleness. It's not about finding the right guy or finding the right girl and making sure that all, all the knot gets tied and everything gets better. No, no, it's not about your singleness, Jesus says. In fact, you are single, but that's not what you're going to fixate on. And, it's not a, and the world says, well, it's all about sex, man. you got to have sex and have fun with it and do everything. If you're single, you can have this. It's just, it's open door, right? Oh, that marriage locks you down and makes you so sad because you only. And that's what our culture yells and screams. But, it's, but what Jesus is saying is, look, look, singleness isn't about sex. Singleness, while there's a struggle there, sure, and while there's a struggle in being single, sure, he says it's not about those two things, and it's not about self. Now, this is a misnomer that occurs out in, in our world and all over the place, that somehow singles are more selfish than married people. Um, I hate to break it to you, there are a lot of selfish married people. Amen? 
You, why don't you just, I just saw you elbow your husband. That's not, that's not, no, no, it's a, obviously there are selfish married people. Just because you're married doesn't make you selfless. In fact, being single doesn't make you selfish. There are tons of selfless single people who are giving their time to churches and to um, various nonprofits and all kinds of causes. They are pouring their lives out for other things other than themselves all the time. And so we don't want to just assume that singleness and selfishness go together. The danger is that we live in a culture that wants everyone, married or otherwise, to be about themselves. I mean, let's face it, with Instagram and Facebook, you know, I'm a celebrity in my own eyes. It's, it's just how this works. Everybody loves me because I'm going to tell you about me and I love me, so why don't I... Then this is what happens. And so self can become an overfocus. And we can fall into the dangerous trap as singles that that becomes a fixation. But Jesus says it's not about getting married. It's not about sex. And it's not about this selfish thing. It's about the kingdom. Because the eunuch serves the king. The eunuch is focused on serving the king. And in the most intimate way, in the most focused way, his entire life is given to this purpose. Now, Obviously, this is not easy to swallow. Notice Jesus' last line. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. And the reason it's not easily swallowed is this simple sentence right in the middle there. It says, who have made themselves eunuchs. See, one of the things here is there's clearly in some cases, some single men and some single women can make the choice to say, I am going to serve God and be single. And it may be because you have homosexual desires and you say, I want to serve God. I'm not going to fixate on sex. You may have heterosexual desires and you say, I don't want to, I want to serve God and I'm not going to focus on sex. I'm not going to focus on marriage. I'm going to focus on the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's about the kingdom focus. And aiming after it. And sometimes we can choose that. And sometimes you're there because of circumstance. And our culture is very different than their culture. Their culture, you set up a marriage. You wanted to get married. You went to mom and dad and said, I want to get married. They went and found you a spouse. There's an entire organization to make it happen. It was called Families. And they would do this in communities. And they, you would be married. But if you didn't want to, you had to tell your parents, I'm not getting married. You had to make the choice. In our world, you can just, because we are scattered to all over the place, driving in, you know, on freeways that move two miles an hour. We are all over the map. And so it's hard sometimes for singles to find each other. We'll talk more about that next week in community, but the point is that you can wind up being single by circumstance, not necessarily by choice. And when you're single by circumstance, you read this and you're like, yeah, thanks, God. Call me a eunuch. Tell me I'm fixated on the kingdom of God. There, this doesn't mean when you're fixated on the kingdom of God, you can't get married and you can't desire. In fact, what it does mean, though, is that you need to have a, a special focus on being after Christ so that you can even view it as Paul does as a gift. You say, what? Paul, also a single man following after the model single Jesus, wound up writing to a church that he had planted. It was it's called, we call it the, Cor the Corinthian church. Corinth was a, a port city that was the Las Vegas of its time period. Just, just whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, and it was just raunchy and crazy. Corinth was, was known for its sexual exploits and insanity. 
Well, he starts a church that takes off extremely successful in Corinth. And they start writing in, asking questions about marriage and sex and all kinds of stuff. And he's writing and answering in a letter that we call 1 Corinthians. And so as Paul is writing to his church, he's talking about his single life in contrast to their lives and their questions about marriage. And he says, after he talks about marriage, he goes, I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning single and celibate. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And, and Paul's point is here, like, look, there's a, this is a gift. Now, the problem is that many people and many pastors have said, well, the gift of singleness is a gift God will grant you. And when you have this, you will be at peace with yourself. You will never want to be married again. You will never want to have a romantic relationship ever. And you will simply have a gift of singleness, to which everyone on the planet says, I don't got that gift. There may be some singles out there who feel very contented and are focused and okay with being singles. And and they they actually, I know there are some of them are in our church. But my my point is that many people, especially in the starter category, they're like the the starters from 18 to 30. You tell them the singleness is a gift. They're like, God, please don't give me that one. Of all the, I'll take tongues. You know, let me prophesy in your name. I'll stand on a street corner with a wedge sign. Just don't give me the gift of singleness. People who have in the middle life in this adult single section, oftentimes they view that as, oh yeah, thanks for the gift, God. I wasn't looking for this one. Sort of like, is there a return policy on this one, please? And widows, you're facing this going like, I didn't think I had this gift. I was married, now I got the gift and I don't want the... This is like a gift nobody wants when it's defined that way, but it's, that's not what Paul means. Anytime a gift is given by God, it's given to you for the sake of the benefit of other people. It is given to you so that other people can benefit and grow and be transformed, not solely for yourself. And every gift that's given to you, no gift that I know of doesn't come with its own anxieties. To be quite honest, I got the gift of leadership and teaching. That is not a peaceful gift, okay? You're like, oh, goody, I get to stand in front of hundreds of people and talk and write an essay, Every week. I hated essays in high school. This is not going well. Welcome to the gift of teaching. Yahoo! Right? Some of you have a gift of prayer and you know the burden and the ache that you carry and the anxiety that's weighed on your shoulders as you try to pray for people. Some of you have a gift of hospitality and your gift shows up because you're running all over your house trying to make it clean, make everything perfect, make sure these people are happy and you're just like, ah, and it's everything. Every gift has its own anxieties. Don't think that singleness is it's a gift, doesn't come with its own anxieties. That's not its purpose. Its point, as Paul would make it, is not so that you're free to never have to get married and you're okay with that. Paul may have struggled and wanted to be married. But what it is, it's a gift to live a life for Christ and his kingdom through your singleness. It's a gift to take advantage of those parts of being single that married people don't have. In fact, Paul kind of focuses in on that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as he goes on, the same chapter, he starts talking about this. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties or from worries, from cares. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I I love this verse. My wife and I fight about it all the time because it just seems so insulting to married people. Like, oh, singleness, awesome, married, sorry, lots of anxiety, welcome. I did a little research on the subject, and what's, power, what's interesting is you and I have to get our minds out of the modern marriage world to understand what this text is saying. When Paul dives into a conversation about anxieties, you got to understand, when you were married, it was more of a transaction or contract for the sake of propagating the line of the husband. And so the husband had a dad who had a dad who had a dad, and he knew all the dads and everybody, and the, and the wife was there to make sure there were sons and daughters that come off the line. And so there was this relationship. And in the ancient world, there was also a relationship contractually between the husband and the wife because the wife owned the house. She ran the entirety of the home. So much so, she was the the master over what they called shame. And now shame, not like you and I think shame, shame. No, shame was those things which belonged within the house that ought not to be done in public. So you don't take a bath in public. You do that in the house. Otherwise, it's shameful. You see what I'm saying? Things that should be done inside and not be done outside where there's the realm of shame. The wife was in charge of all of that, which was good. This is not bad. This, This is good. The man was in charge of the honor. Honor is whatever is done in public. And so he would go out to make honor for his family, to fight a war, to make money, to do these things and move up the political scale. He was anxious to please his wife through his honor. She was anxious to please her husband by running a good house. She was anxious about all the order of this stuff while he's anxious about all the order of that stuff. And then they were Christians and they had to worry about the kingdom of God too. And so Paul says, I don't want you to have to worry about all that stuff. Because he's going, I don't. I fixate on the honor of the kingdom of God. I fixate on the honor of what God desires and longs for. And so when it comes to this, Paul is really, again, fixating on the idea that we can do grass is greener on the other side problems all the time. So, so many singles I know are looking at all the benefits of marriage and just going, oh, it's so nice over there. And I know some married people who are sitting in marriages looking at single life going, oh, it's so nice over there. Especially when it comes to callings. See, what's powerful about you having a calling to the kingdom of God and being a single in your state as you are right now, because it's not about whether you chose it or whether you just randomly wound up that way, you have an opportunity. It's a gift of opportunity given to you right now to grab your calling and run for it as fast as you can, because guess what? You don't have to worry about making sure the other person that you're married to is aligned in the same calling and you're both running after your calling together. And then you have children, and you're all running together. And this is not as fast as somebody who right now, though you may be single, can intensely fixate and focus on what God has you to do and go for it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to desire to be married. You can. You can keep going on dates. You can keep going out there and and meeting people, and and one day you can be married. God's not opposed to that. Trust me. He wants people to have children so the human race can continue on, right? But when it comes to the opportunity you have as a single right now, you have an opportunity to fixate on the kingdom in a way that otherwise many people who are married 
have to work together to make happen. And it's not as smooth and fast and quick. And so watch out for that grass is greener stuff. But instead, in your singleness, choose single-mindedness. In your singleness, choose a single-mindedness. Focus like the servant of God who is after him. Not, not focused on your singleness, not focused on sex, and not focused on yourself. Focused on the kingdom of God. It is a gift given to you for this time to use greatly. And as you run, you are going to begin to be able to be single-minded on your calling. Jesus had a single-minded calling. He, he put it here in Luke 19. He, um, he, he said it this way, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Son of Man is a title Jesus gave to himself. He says, I'm here for one thing, to seek and save the lost. Now, that's a life mission statement, don't you think? See, Jesus didn't say when you wake up, when they asked him, what, did you, what do you wake up in the morning for? He goes, no, no, it's not what do I wake up in for the morning, it's who do I wake up for in the morning. That's powerful. When you can take it from what are you getting up for to who are you getting up for, you've given yourself a purpose that's beyond something to do. It's become personal. And Jesus woke up every morning thinking about you and thinking about me. He was thinking about you and me if you can identify with the fact that inside is some twisted ugliness that exists that sometimes we either laugh at or we hate. It's just so appalling to us, we hide it, or it's so evil that we're just like, whatever, and we give into it, that, that we've done injustices to each other, that we failed God every single day in many cases. If you can identify with that, Jesus woke up every morning after you, seeking you to save you, because every human being will one day stand before the living God who's righteous and true and face a day of judgment, which he will judge all of the good and evil that we've done, and we've piled up far more evil than we cannot, you and I can even imagine. And Jesus knew that we would fail on that day of judgment as human beings. And so he came to bear it for you and to bear it for me so that we would not fail. We wouldn't stand naked on that day of judgment. But we'd stand clothed in his goodness and saved. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what he did every single day of his life. Everything that he got involved with was aimed at seeking and saving the lost. This was the calling that Jesus had. This is the reason he would die on the cross. This is why he would raise from the dead. God came to earth to seek and save the lost. And that was his calling. Can you summarize your calling that quickly? That essentially, that focused? You go, no, what's that look like if I did? Now, most people can't, and I get it. We're in, we're in a society, honestly, that offers you so many opportunities and so much stuff. Calling can get a little crazy. It can feel like you're on a playground with no fences, um, in the book Boundaries, they, they talk about this study that was done in which children were put in a playground in New York. And in New York, play, the playground means on top of a sky-rise building. Right, so they, they're kind of, not sky-rise, but a high enough building where they're, they're playing around on different levels. And then there are those on the ground. They tested whether it was any different on the top or the bottom. What they found out is that they had no fences. The kids all played roughly in the middle. Kind of in the middle of the playground. They all played around with each other and they didn't get too near the edges. Then when they built fences... Like, kids would go all over the place. They'd be leaning on the fences like, look, cars, you know, that kind of thing. And they'd be just all over the map, all just exploring every place because the fence was a boundary. And they knew they could get close to the boundary. It's safe to this point. Without a boundary, you don't know. You don't know where to go explore. And so many of you have never explored for your calling, but you're just not sure. What if I step out of bounds? What if I fall off and I hurt myself? I don't know where to go. So what I want to do is I want to draw you the fence of the playground. The playground in which I believe you can help walk into and begin to discover your calling. 
So if you do me a favor, draw a box right there under this point in your, in your uh, outline. And, and, and at the top, you're going to write these words. That the God's call to love. That, that's the first boundary. Where do I find out what God's calling in my life is? It starts with understanding that God has called all of us as human beings, to love God and to love others. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he said, you can sum up all of the Old Testament with this, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, two things to do as a human being, love God and love others. But if you don't love others who are made in God's image, you're not loving God. And I guarantee if you love God rightly, you'll wind up, wind up treating people with justice, equity, and kindness, and goodness, and you will love others. You, those two things are not two different things. They are the same. And so Jesus says, this is what it looks like. You love with a self-sacrifice to better others, and you love God. You honor him. When you do that, you will create a world of love. And so there are certain things we don't get involved in, right? You don't go get involved in the sex industry. You don't go get involved in drug dealing. You don't go get involved in, in I mean, illegal drug dealing. If you're a pharmacist, that's different. And so you don't get involved in, um, you don't go get involved in, 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 in like, you know, mercenary societies, whatever you can think of. There are certain things that are above the line that you just, that's not your world of exploration. We're going to run and where God has called us to, and there's so much. Like you're like, I can, I can like get drinking water to children in Africa. Oh, you mean I can get out there and find food and feed people? Oh, you mean I can, I can help people be economically successful? I can make a whole bunch of money and help out an organization? Yeah, all that's available. But there is a line at which the bottom side I want you to stop. Because you can do lots of good things, and you can give lots of kids water, and you can give lots of kids food. But what good is it to give somebody food and water and let them die and go to hell? And so Jesus clearly gives us the other line, the call to see people become his disciples, to be saved from judgment. He came to seek and save the lost, he said. If that's Jesus' job and we've been left behind to follow Jesus, that's our job. In fact, he made it explicit before he, is, before he headed up and was enthroned in heaven. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means I don't rule my life and you don't rule yours anymore. It was given over to Jesus. All authority. So he says, here's what you're going to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, listen, here's the mission. Here's the goal. Bring people into the kingdom of God so they don't go to hell. Nobody else needs to go there. Nobody needed to go there in the first place. Let's get the message out there and let's get it to everyone we can. And so he says, there's your lines. Love others, love God, make disciples. Yeah, build wells, get water, and give the gospel with the water. Shoe children and give the gospel with the shoes. Go and renew an entire area in downtown L.A. that's in blight and brokenness and bring the gospel of Jesus with you. Now you have your range of calling. How much is involved there? There's so much to do, so much good to accomplish, so many children to educate, so many adults to educate, so many people to help, so many, so many lives to care about, and so many people to save. There is this bound. But guess what? There are some things you shouldn't do. Like, for example, I should not be someone's secretary. Bad idea. I already said, I don't have a calendar in my head. I'm not organized. My office is a, is a trash heap at times because I'm a creative person. I'm like, all over the map. 
So you got to know your gifts. you got to know your abilities. You, this is the sideline there. You don't, you don't go running over here and suddenly like, God's called me to do this great thing. I'm going to be the leader. And you're like not gifted in leadership at all. Don't do that. You, you know your gifts. Because God's given you gifts. He has placed his presence upon you. And if you're a Christian, he has empowered you. Sometimes those gifts line up with your abilities and sometimes they're supernaturally given. And what's beautiful is that he says it this way. To each, again, talking to the Corinthians about this whole conversation of tongues and weird gifts that they were having and given and that still exists today. Weird because I don't have them, but anybody's gift that you don't have is weird. But anyway, as he goes on, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the idea here is that it's beneficial to everybody else. The church is given to the world for the common good of the world. I believe that the gifts God gives you for church and for each other is also powerful to bless your neighbor and to bless your workplace. Especially as you act as the kingdom of God. And so you want to allow this manifestation of what the Spirit has given you to work. And sometimes God has given you a gift you don't even know or realize you have because you didn't have it naturally. For example, me growing up, I am a classic type B follower. Literally. I was the kid who was like, what are we all doing? That sounds like fun. Oh, we're going over there. Oh, we're going to smoke that. Okay, you know, just following people. When I came to Christ, something changed. I don't know what happened or when it shifted, but suddenly I was, I was the president of the Madrigals. I was the, head of the, I was the, um, the leader of the track team. I turn around, I'm a lead in a, in a musical. I'm running the junior high worship team at, at, at a large church in town. I'm going, where did the leadership thing come from? It was a gift, not of my natural ability, which really scares me. So, because I have to lean on God for my leadership. It comes from Him. It doesn't come from a natural inclination. And so when you see this, you realize God can gift you that, and then there's one more boundary. You have all that, and you can run in a direction. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to be somebody's whatever, or I'm going to lead this thing. Stop. Because there's not, not everywhere that you should be engaged in. I mean, do you ever get exhausted when everybody tells you, you need to be in children's ministry, you need to be adopting, and you need to be helping the poor, and you need to be a missionary in Africa, and then missionary in Asia at the exact same time, you know? You're like, what am I supposed to do? That's because everybody's been given gifts, but they've also been given a passion. Do you know how to find your passion? As a single person, here's a great way to find your passion. What bugs the dickens out of you? What just bugs you? just drives you crazy. You come home complaining about it to your parents or to your friends. You're just sitting there going, can you believe they did this? And, that? and But it's not like a once, it's not an annoyance. I'm talking about something that bugs you. You can't let it go. It's a group of people that you care about. It's an, maybe it's women or maybe it's men or maybe it's singles or maybe it's marrieds or maybe, and, and by the way, singles, you can care about marrieds. But did you realize that? You go, when, what what's always dawns on me is you go to a marriage conference, you sit down, and we quote single dudes who are telling married people how to live. Jesus and Paul, right? So don't think if you're single, you don't have something to inform married people. So yeah, if God calls you to marriage and to counsel marriage and care about them and you're single, follow God's calling. Because it's about what's passioned in your heart. God's put boundaries. If you hate teenagers, don't join the youth ministry. People who love teenagers, who love junior hires, who love children, they need, you need to find the ministry that fits you for your love, 
or your passion. What drives you crazy is oftentimes the thing that God's given you eyes to fix. And in this box, you may not have all the answers to all those things, what your gifts are and what your passions are, and there's gift tests and things like that you can down there. I'm just giving you this box because this is the playground to play in. And if you will be brave enough to step into the playground and start playing, you'll discover your calling. It may not be like God yells and screams at you about it, but it will start to begin to be clear. And clear as you step into your gifts, you step into your roles, it grows and it grows and it doesn't. And it gets further. And as a single-minded single, you can begin to fixate on that calling when you have it and press in deep. And what will occur is you are willing to put other things aside at this point to focus on the kingdom. This is what Paul did. Paul actually pushed away his distractions. He, he had all these accolades as a Jewish man, earned all these things. And he says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I think of my friend Christine, who is willing to put aside her privileged American upbringing, lay aside so much of her family, friends, and other people for the sake of the kingdom that she knew God was telling her to go. Did she know exactly where? No. But she knew her calling and she pressed after it. And many of us have gotten behind her. Because when a single person gets behind their calling, a lot of times they're just plain old unstoppable. And a lot of us who move a little slower love to empower people who are moving a lot faster. And that's okay because we need to gather together. And this is what it may look like. You may lay something aside. It may be holding you back. In fact, when you find that calling, can I just tell you something? The first feeling you're going to feel is not elation. It's going to be fear and doubt. Because the enemy does not want single people on fire for Jesus, living singly for the kingdom. He wants them fixated on the self, fixated on their singleness, or fixated somehow on sex. He does not want you fixated on the kingdom. And so when you find it and you've been exploring it, you're going to feel fear. You're going to be going, did I really find it? Did I really do this? It's no wonder that the author of Hebrews takes an entire chapter of 11 to state, by faith so-and-so did this, and by faith so-and-so did this. And each person in that list, in that chapter, is living out their calling from God who heard it audibly and they still had to take it on faith meaning take a risk and trust God and some of you haven't stepped forward in your calling because you just can't take the risk but the author of Hebrews is clear he says listen take that risk they are all behind us watching let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have these weights, we have these encumbrances, we have sin. We need to learn to set them aside, to be able to push them away so we can fixate on our calling, which is why you and I so desperately need community. Who else is going to help carry the sin and move off the weight? Who else is going to enable you to get moving? Especially as single men and women, you need community community added to your calling with a deep relationship with God empowers the life. And I want you guys to have that because when it ultimately lands, when you finally explore that out and you discover it in your workplace and it lines up or you discover it at your church and you start getting excited about what God's called you to and you need to take a risk and take the move, you've got a community there to help you make a wise decision and choice. 
And as you charge forward and take that, whether you're a starter and you're all excited right now, or you're a widow going, no, I think God's done with this. This is a calling thing I don't need. Time out real quick. I just need to say something to those in the widow or in the older category of single adults. If you're breathing, God's not done with you. Why I say that is this. There is a generation of young starters who are energized, ready to go, ready to give their all to do the kingdom of God. But what they lack is what you own, which is called wisdom. And starters, if you need anything, you need older men and, wisdom, men and women who are in the wisdom categories, the older adult categories, to pour into you, especially if they're single and you're single, so that you have a person that you can saddle up to, ask tough questions to, and begin to drive forward together. God is not finished with you. If your body is broken, God is not finished with you. If you are, are staring at the end of your life in cancer, he is never done with you until you are in his presence, and he's telling you, well done, well done. That's how you be single-minded in your calling. That's how you stay fixated on what God's called you to do. And when you do that, you create a legacy. Legacy is not simply found in children. Thank God, right? Because sometimes children aren't the best legacy, and sometimes they're a great legacy. That's not any statement on my children. Love my children. But there are people out there that shake their head, and they go, man, my children are my legacy. I'm in trouble. No, think of it this way. Your legacy is actually found in what lasts for eternity. In some cases, that may be our children who come to know Christ. In some cases, that may be a mission work that you've done. In other cases, that may be because you found that calling and you live for it. But whatever lasts for eternity, that is your legacy. Paul, at the end of his life, writes to his protege and says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Notice the righteous judge who's likely should condemn us because of our sin is going to give him a crown of righteousness, of justice and goodness. Because he stayed fixated on the calling that God gave him, which is Christ. To love others. To, stand, to, to make disciples. He used his gifts and he went after his passion for church planning. It's no wonder that in Revelation he tells every church at the end of the statements of the churches, he says to them, God, Jesus says, he who has ear, let him hear. And then he lays out what the conquerors will receive. To the one who conquers or overcomes the problems in that church, to the problems that he says, I'll give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone. I love this. With a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. When you meet Christ, what he wants to hand to you is a stone that has a name on it. Nobody else knows. Do you know what's in a name? Your entire life. Stop and think about it. Why do we celebrate the name of Jesus except his entire legacy is bound in his name? The only one who truly knows your legacy, the only one who can truly define you perfectly is the one who will give you the perfect name that only you and him know because he knows you. He knows your legacy. And he wants you to live for it. When you live for your legacy as a single person, you have the opportunity to do it with a gusto and a single-mindedness so that you are laying up for treasure after treasure after treasure in eternity. And as you charge forward to that one day, that will resound in eternity as a legacy, even if you're forgotten here. And everyone will be forgotten here one day. Now I know. Ancestry.com. 
We have to research our ancestors who had children, who had children, who had children, who had children, and conveniently got forgotten by their children's children's children. Having children doesn't determine you're going to be remembered. No, you're remembered by the Lord. I think C.S. Lewis makes this abundantly clear in his allegory called The Great Divorce. While you may not agree with all the theology, and I don't, it's an interesting idea as these ghosts get a chance to come up to the gates of heaven out of the cracks of hell, which just hell is a crack in the ground. And they come up out on a bus and they come out and they get to see the, the mountain of heaven and they stand there staring at it. And saints will come out to speak to them that each of them knew and associates. And one of them is a prestigious artist. And this distinguished artist said, are there any other distinguished artists in there? And, and the, um, the saint who came out says, well, they aren't distinguished no more than anybody else. Don't you understand? The glory flows into everyone, back and from everyone, like light and mirrors. But the light's the thing. The artist looks, and, you mean there are no famous men? Oh, they're all famous. They're all known, remembered, recognized by the only mind that can give perfect judgment. One must be content with one's reputation among posterity then, said the ghost, said the artist. My friend, said the, said the saint, don't you know? Know what? That you and I are already completely forgotten on the earth. And this artist who had labored his life to leave things behind so he would be remembered, didn't like that too much and decided it would be better to crawl back into hell. And that's kind of his picture, these things, these things on our hearts. And legacy can be one of those that can hold you back. No, it's not a fixation on your legacy. It's not a fixation on a legacy left here. It's a fixation on the kingdom that builds a legacy that never, ever is forgotten. Because God has given you a gift if you're single, a gift of opportunity, a gift in which that if you will seize it now, it's what God can do through you while you're single as you fixate, not on your singleness, no, not on sex, no, not, not on yourself, no, as you fixate on the kingdom of God and you find your calling that you would be a single-minded single after what God has you for so that when you wake up every morning you wake up for someone that is the excitement of you getting to be single I pray you find it let's pray Father thank you for this time that we have time to dive in deep into your word and to examine Jesus you are model single for all that you have for us God, for those in this room right now who are wrestling to know what that calling is, reveal it to them as they explore that playground. And God, make the biggest difference as you give them opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to live for you in this time. And God, for those who, you, who, who there will be someone who comes along them, side of them, and maybe comes into a marriage, I pray that would be a blessing if that's what they long for. But God, if they're caught in their focus. May you make it ultimately worth it when they come and stand before you. And I ask this in Jesus' name.